good, very good, all right, good, good, good. Um, we're in a series on Sabbath, we're going to continue that this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Deuteronomy 5, we'll be there in a few minutes. I'd love to begin by talking about the cos- uh, cosmetic plastic surgery industry, a booming business in America. From Botox to hair removal to body modifications. Uh, according to the American Society of Plastic Surgery, uh, Americans have spent $16.5 billion as of 2018 on, on these modifications. And as a country, we care deeply about appearance. Deeply. Uh, and we're doing all we can to begin to believe that we're not aging and getting older. Uh, we don't want to age. We don't want to wrinkle. We don't want to be exposed by the fact that every day is one day closer to our grave. That's the reality, but everything in our society is bucking against trying to stay young for as long as possible. Yet our faith anchors us in a, in a different meaning. There's a different approach that our faith invites us into. You know, each year, Lent, which is a season that we're in, comes along and reminds us of this. The 40 days that lead up to Easter is a reminder of our limitations, a reminder of our mortality, a reminder of the fact that we are but human. And 325 A.D., the Council of Nicaea is, in a lot of ways, historians would say, is where Lent began, this period of time where we had focus on our mortality, leading up to the resurrection of Jesus. Some people ask, isn't Lent Catholic? where I would respond, all the church was Catholic until the 16th century. And so, anyways, it is during this season that we remember our humanity. It's in this season that we remember our mortality. And so we gathered on Ash Wednesday, which is the kickstart of Lent, and you guys got ashes on your forehead. And we remember that statement in, in Genesis 3. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so there's this built-in rhythm, year in and year out, for followers of Jesus to step into this posture of knowing that we are mortal, we are nothing like God, we will die, and we need someone greater. Something really beautiful about embracing our limitations. Something really exposing about our pride that doesn't want to embrace our limitations, but something really beautiful about embracing our limitations. We live in a world that says the world is your oyster. We live in a world that says own your tomorrow, but our faith It reminds us that we're incredibly limited. It reminds us that we have very, very, very little control. There's something really beautiful about embracing our limitations. So Lent is a a once-a-year rhythm where we embrace our limitations. And Sabbath is a a once-a-week rhythm of our limitations. And it invites us into this posture of resistance and an invitation to uh, embrace our limitation. So again, we're in a series on Sabbath, and so several weeks ago we talked about Jesus' invitation to find rest for your soul in Him. And we talked about these four values of Sabbath, to stop, to rest, to delight, and to worship. And then last week Drew talked about this Sabbath being seen as a, as a rhythm for our life, week in and week out. And so over the next two weeks we're again continuing in this conversation, but we're going to focus not so much on the rhythm of Sabbath, but how Sabbath is designed to be a resistance for us in our lives. And so this week we're going to talk about the internal resistance 
that Sabbath provides for us. And next week, we're going to talk about the external resistance that Sabbath supplies when it comes to confronting accumulation and accomplishment. So I want to begin by considering this first point, that in Sabbath, we remember and observe. And we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So as we get to Deuteronomy 5, I love just hearing all the pages turn in the room as we go to Deuteronomy 5. I'm being a bit facetious. Um, thank you, that one person out there, for bringing your Bible. Um, and for the rest of you, for swiping um, with your thumb. That's good. So we get to Deuteronomy 5, and there's a reminder of the covenant of Sinai. So 40 years uh, prior to this text, we, we see this story of, of the Exodus and the culmination of God giving, delivering. You can imagine the, the Israelites have, have come out of centuries under the tyranny of Egypt and being enslaved as, as brick makers, always and only producing bricks. And we'll hear even more about that next week. And then God delivers them through the Red Sea, and he supplies Ten Commandments. Why? Because he wants to reorient their minds and their hearts around a new set of values that are polarizing to what uh, they felt and experienced in Egypt. And so those folks, we, read, we heard from Ex- in Exodus 20 last week, Drew shared, and, and those folks have now gotten older, and some of them, many of them have now died. And a new generation, a new crop of younger people have now risen up. And God wants to remind those people of the same truth. So in Deuteronomy 5, we hear uh, the second Torah, or the uh, reminder of the Ten Commandments. And so what I want to do is I want to begin by reading again what we heard last week in Exodus 20. And then I want to read Deuteronomy 5. So Exodus 20, it'll be on the screen. It says, remember the Sabbath day. And if you're really, like, curious and you want to, like, kind of dissect, try to look at the differences between what we hear from the first generation that just came out of Egypt, and then what we're about to hear 40 years later in Deuteronomy. So remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That was written and shared with the ones who just came out of Egypt. Now, 40 years later, Deuteronomy was written, and the Ten Commandments were reminded. They were, they, uh, God reminded them of, of these by saying this, a little bit different than what he said to the original generation. He says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So it's similar. We see the the similarity of a reminder of rest. The day is holy. It It is a sacred day for the people of God. It's the most hefty paragraph within the Ten Commandments. What's different, it's 
there, there's a there's a um, tradition within the within uh, Judaism that it's called the Kaddish. And the, the benediction, the, the beginning of the Sabbath, the mother of the home, would begin by blessing, uh, blessing the, uh, the new beginning of that day. And say, she says these two words, remember and observe. Taken from these two texts we just read. And that's the emphasis of Exodus, to remember. To remember to keep it before your mind. Remember the rhythm of creation. Remember that there are six days you work, and one day is holy and blessed, and you rest. Remember. But also, to observe. That was the beginning of what we just read. To set it aside as a unique day. To observe is to recall that we were once slaves. Don't forget, kids that have now grown up and aren't used to the fact that you were once enslaved to Egypt. Remember that you were once in slavery, remember, and that the Lord, He brought you out with His mighty hand. Observe is a resistance, is a call to resistance, to, to never go back to Egypt. It's this beautiful reminder to this next generation, don't go back to Egypt. Don't give in to the lie, the temptation to go back to Egypt, to remember and observe. So interesting to me how to the next generation, the emphasis isn't on the rhythm of creation, but instead on a call to uh, resist the temptation to go back to chains. We'll hit this more next week, but we see this, this call of resistance, which leads to the second point is this. Sabbath highlights to us that it is God who's our primary provider. It is God who's our primary provider. We see this in the story of Exodus. So if you're not familiar, so we, we kind of go through Abraham. He's got a bunch of kids, and they have kids, and then they have kids. And then Joseph comes along. He has that, that, that technical dream, that coat, right? And so he gets thrown into, um, his brothers don't like him because he has a dream. And so they throw him into uh, a pit, and he ends up getting picked up by some, some people. And again, long story short, God uses his life and redeems the evil that took place in his life for good. And so a famine hits, and long story short, he becomes second in command to the Pharaoh in, in Egypt. And his brothers now come to him, fulfilling the very dream that he had as a famine is occurring. And he's able to provide them food in this beautiful way. And they, they are given this, this plot of land. The Pharaoh gives them this plot of land. And they exist in this plot of land, and then decades go by. They begin to produce kids who produce kids, and all of a sudden they have this huge amount of people in this land. And the Pharaoh who now dies, a new Pharaoh comes along and begins to hate these Israelites. He begins to use them as a means to build bricks and to, to help build out his systems of further accumulation. And they become just a, a means to an end. They become dehumanized in what they're doing, and they begin to cry out to God for a rescuer. So Exodus 1 and 2, we hear these, this story, and God raises up this guy named Moses, and Moses becomes the deliverer of Israel, and he goes before Pharaoh, and he lays out these, these, these times over and over again, let my people go, let my people go, let my people go. And then a plague would hit over and over again, if you recall the, the felt board stories that you maybe experienced growing up. And so eventually, the 10th plague occurs, and then... The firstborn son dies, and, 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 and if you, a, a Passover occurred, if you put blood over the doorpost, then you would be freed as a picture of the future Christ. You'd be freed from death. 
And eventually the Pharisees get out and they leave and all these, these hundreds of thousands of people, they now leave and they, God opens up the Red Sea for them. You remember the story? They go through the Red Sea and Pharaoh changes his mind, so he now chases after them. And God encloses the Red Sea upon Pharaoh and his army. This crazy, miraculous story of God's deliverance upon the people of Egypt, which is again a foreshadow of the coming of Christ. And then they're in this wilderness. They're hungry. They're beginning to long for the day. Like, man, life with Pharaoh was horrible, but at least we had decent food. And they begin to it's like long for that day, and then God provides them manna. You remember manna? You guys remember reading your Bibles? Remember manna? Okay. So we hear this. I want to pick up in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. It says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So six days they work. They toil. They cultivate. They keep the very thing that we're charged to do ourselves. And then on the seventh day, they're charged to trust God with their lives. To remember that it was the Lord that brought them out. To remember that it was the Lord who provides. It's the Lord who sends rain. It's the Lord who sustains. From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. And then you read in Exodus 16.6, it says, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. So it's the end of this week where God reminds them week in and week out that you are not the provider of your life. You are not the source of your life. You are not the redeemer of your life. You are not the rescue of your life. It is a reset every week that on the seventh day you remember reality. Because after six days of working hard, you begin, begin to have pride in thinking that you provide for yourself. So it's the Sabbath day that reminds us of our limitations that is ultimately not God who, it's ultimately not me who provides for my life, but it is God. And every seven days, we remember that reality. So the text goes on to tell us that for 40 years, God provided manna every day. And then on the sixth day, he would provide two days worth because on the seventh day, they would rest. It was during this time that you can imagine that, that they, over time, we know the story, and we know they begin to fall apart, fall apart but, but it was designed to awaken something within the Israelites, that six days I was made for work, but on the seventh day, I was designed to trust God with my life. So Sabbath was always intended to confront our temptation, to believe that we have more power than we actually have. And every seventh day is this reminder that we are incredibly limited, that we are not as uh, we are not as strong or in control as we might realize. See, rest for the soul has so much to do with this right understanding of who I am and a right understanding of who God is. It was the manna that God used to help keep the Israelites within the limits of Sabbath. The seventh day was a day of faith to remember who they really were. Every seven days, you remember who your provider is, who your source is, and who holds your world together. I mean, that's confrontational. 
Sabbath is designed to be confrontational. Some of you guys have kind of dipped your toe in to Sabbath, maybe an hour a week where you're trying this and you feel the confrontation because in this hour you're not producing like you feel like you should and all kinds of things come up in us. They do through Sabbath. I'm not sure if you've felt that yet, but it happens. Sabbath confronts everything in us that's anti-God. Sabbath confronts everything in us that's self-reliant. And it's a, it's a moment of time where we remember that there is only one who rules and reigns and provides and sustains. And it is not me. And it's this sacred place, holy and blessed, that we enter into as a unique, different day. Six days we work. And the seventh day we rest. It's purposeful. And, and part of its purpose is to be holy and set apart unlike the other Days is a message that resists our tendency to expand our limits and our autonomy and to remember who we really actually are, which leads to the third point, which is this. Sabbath is a way of resistance allowing us to embrace our limitations. This is why we hate it. This is why some of you have almost not come to any of our Sabbath series. Because you just didn't want to hear it, right? Like, it's just like, I don't want to do this. It's too hard. I'd rather just seven days I work and zero days I rest. I'll rest when I sleep and, and for the five hours. But I'm going to work hard. Sometimes we feel like the rejection of wanting to embrace our limitations. But Sabbath is an embracing of our limits and an opportunity to create an outline or a structure to support our understanding of those limitations. So in Sabbath, we embrace our limitations. We have friends. We have limitations. Our souls can't rest because we believe that we don't have limitations. Part of the reason why we feel so restless as a society because we have bucked against the reality that we have limitations and there's only but one God. And it's not us. It's not our country. It's not our rulers. It is only God. Oftentimes we function as if we are omnipresent. Always available to the world. It's crushing to our soul. We function as if we're omniscient. We carry the weight to feel like we need to know more than we can know. But Dane Allender says this about Sabbath. He says, Sabbath provides a weekly marker for the contours of life. It's kind of a weekly reminder of our limitations. See, Sabbath is a way of resistance a resistance uh, to the urge that we can be beyond who we are. We want to think that we're stronger than we are. We want to think that we can take on more than we can. We want to think that we have our lives mapped out more than we have the control to map our lives out. We're all but one phone call away from our life turning on a dime. We want to think that our production provides value and identity. We want to think that we are the summation of our efforts. Deeply mistaken. We've drank from the pool of pride for too long. And it's Sabbath, the practice of Sabbath, that reminds us that we are limited. We're created for six days we work and one day we rest. So every seven days we pause. We say, I'm not God. That's the beauty of this day. We stop and rest. We, we set aside time. And for some of you, it's just an hour or two. It's a Sabbath walk. It's a Sabbath afternoon. It's a Sabbath morning. I know that we're all taking steps in different ways. And the goal is just to take a step. But it's a day where we set aside time, holy and blessed. And we say, we are not in control. Only God provides for my life. We stop. We rest. We delight. 
and worship. We affirm the fact that we have so little control on our lives, our kids' lives, our bank accounts, our futures, our retirement. So little control of all of it. It's a weekly rhythm, yes, like Drew talked about last week, a market day for the soul. And it's a a day of resistance where we resist the temptation to be beyond our limits. It compels us to resist the temptation to believe that we're more than we are. In Psalm 90, Moses, who wrote this, actually has some interesting thoughts for us. I'd love to read uh, Psalm 90 with you. It says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever or ever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Should go on. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. And then it goes on and says, teach us. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So the psalmist Likely Moses experiences this and he understands his mortality and he invites us into this posture of wisdom. The understanding and embracing our limitations is actually an on-ramp to true godly wisdom. Ruth Haley Barton says this, that Sabbath keeping is the primary discipline that helps us live within the limits of our humanity and to honor God as our creator. It is the key to a life lived in sync with the rhythms that God himself built into our world. Man, it's just a reminder that we're incredibly limited. We're limited in our presence. We can't be more than one place at a time. We try to multitask, and we end up doing a poor job at both, right? We feel that we're limited in our gifts. We have some gifts, and we compare our gifts with other people's gifts, and we wish we had their gifts, forgetting the fact that we've been given gifts as we live our lives, wishing we had somebody else's gifts and not embracing the gifts that we have. We have limits in our capacity emotionally, physically, relationally. We have limits in our mortality. We're lucky if we get 90 years in. We have no guarantees for tomorrow. And it's that embrace of knowing all I have is right here and right now. That is the on-ramp for wisdom. Because we live in this moment different if we number our days and remember our mortality. We have limits in our autonomy. We're much, much less in control than we realize. We don't really know what's best. We can barely keep up with our budget, much less control the future of our lives. So we are limited in our autonomy. We're limited in our provision. And we're just one day away from maybe not having the job that we have today. We're limited. And it's an invitation. Faith is an invitation to trust somebody greater than yourself who actually can hold your life together in a way that you can't. I can't. Pete Scazzaro says, on Sabbath, I embrace my limits. God is God. He is indispensable. I am his creature. The world continues working fine when I stop. You know how liberating this is? Like a, like a dream. Like, and we have to dream because in our reality, we've overcommitted, and so we have to talk about maybe next year, but maybe not committing as much. So let's dream for a second about the idea of having a day where we enter in and we stop and we rest, and we let go of control, and we put all of God's responsibility back on him. We take the weight off ourselves. We remember that he's the creator, he's the sustainer, he's the provider, and we exhale. I trust you. 
There's something so profoundly unique about the resistance of Sabbath and how it bucks against the pride that we feel on the inside. It's liberating to know that you're not God because you're not and I'm not. It's this resisting of limits. It's, it's not new. This isn't, this isn't new. This is why, you know, when we think about um, the, the notion that we're progressing as a society, we're no different than Adam and Eve. We're no different than Adam and Eve in the sense that they wanted to be autonomous. They wanted to think that their way was better than God's. They wanted to trust somebody else than God. And here we are, however many millennia later, young earth, old earth, we won't go there. But like, regardless, like much, much later, we're no different than their temptation to rebel against God. And Sabbath invites us into our limitation to stop, rest, delight, and worship. To know that there's going to be more things on your list. To think, I'm just going to wait until I check everything off before I enter into Sabbath. You never will. Because there's always going to be more on the list. And as you get older, things continue to grow on the list. Maybe the oldest man in the room. Hear him. Hear the wisdom. My dad. In that moment, we embrace our limits. Wayne Mueller says, he says this, if that's, if that's reality, if the reality is we're always going to have more on the list, then light a candle alone or with friends. Let each of you speak about those things that are left to do. And as the candle burns, allow the cares to melt away. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, Jesus said. The worries of today are sufficient for today. Whatever remains to be done, for now let it be. It will not get done tonight. In Sabbath time, we take our hand off the plow and allow God and the earth to care what is needed. Let it be. You hear those three words? Let it be. Those suffocate pride. Let it be. I trust you with my life. See, Sabbath keeping, it will mess with you. It will confront things within you. But it also provides an on-ramp of beauty and healing and rest for your soul. You'll feel that, shouldn't I be doing this? Shouldn't I be doing that? It's a day of letting go. See, as we embrace our limits, we are able to experience the joys of life. I've said this before, but as you enter into a space of, again, a Sabbath afternoon or Sabbath morning or Sabbath day, it reminds you to see the gifts that you didn't see that you had, that you actually have right before you. As you sit on your couch or you look on your porch and you're able to just exhale and remember the gifts you have. As you play with your kids and you don't have the phone in your, in your pocket to check your email, you're able to be present in a way that you couldn't have been otherwise. When you ride your bike and enjoy the breeze upon your face, you feel something different than you don't normally feel. When you experience a good drink or good food or good laughter, experience the gift of heaven that's right before you in some ways. When you, when, yeah, you will be motivated. The motivation of work will increase as you have six days of work and one day of rest. You will always be at most six days away from Sabbath, regardless of how hard your week has been. Ruth Haley Barton went on to say, The Sabbath will become the centerpiece of your week, the kingpin of your spiritual rhythms. So I'll close with this. Our property here at Sojourn has a stream that feeds into the Chattahoochee River. So you might have not noticed this, but there's a little stream over here down on, on, the, on the east side of the property. And, and so we, if we were to build more here, 
make this building bigger, and I don't know, if, I don't think we will, but if we do, um, we only can build so far because of this, this regulation that's set up to protect the, protect the stream from Chattahoochee, which is kind of funny because Chattahoochee is like really gross, but they want to protect the stream to make sure that the stream is really clean so that the Chattahoochee can stay really gross. But anyways, roll with me. Likewise, likewise, our soul is like a stream. And you don't have regulations to keep it from being contaminated. Only you can keep your soul. You are the keeper of your soul. The gift of Sabbath has to be opened from you. You can't be spoon-fed. We know the story of Dallas Willard when he was asked, um, what do I need to, to do to be spiritually healthy? And he had this long pause, and he said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You might know that story. We may not know this story. The same guy followed up later to Dallas Willard, um, and he said, what was needed to help the church experience greater levels of spiritual growth? Like, what is needed? And he was hoping that Dallas Willard would give him, like, a good book to get. Like, what's the book? If I could just have the book and give them the book, then, then they'll be able to grow spiritually. And this is what he said to this, Dallas Willard said to this man. He said, you must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. And again, the guy is like, ah, yeah, cool, but like, is there a book? Is there a book that I can give? And Dallas Willard went on to say, yes, brother, I know you were thinking this. That's not what they need most. And then I have this on the screen. If your soul is unhealthy, you can't help anybody. You don't send a doctor with pneumonia to care for patients with immune disorders. You and nobody else are responsible for the well-being of your soul. And you want spiritual growth in your home? You want spiritual growth in your workplace? It starts with us owning and embracing our limits. As the Proverbs say, guard your heart, for from it the wellspring of life flows. It's the stream and we are the keeper. It's that picture. My mom was a flight attendant for many, many moons. And um, so we were able to fly for free. And, and you have the moment of time when the flight attendant's standing in the front. I guess it would be in the middle, standing in the front. She, she, she drops the, the little mask, and you're supposed to know how to put the mask on. And so only you can put the mask on for yourself. It's only us that can embrace our limits. Someone else can't embrace our limits for us. Only we can. And this is what Sabbath invites us into. Invites us into this posture of we are not God. We are not in control. We are not the provider. We are not the sustainer. And that's good news for us. That there is one who is. And we can trust him. He came and he rescued us. He entered into our world and he died our death. And he can be trusted with all of our lives. And it's the beauty of Sabbath, this practice that invites us into preaching this message to ourself that is oh so beautiful. Friends, it is good to embrace our limits. And the Sabbath invites us into this. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we remember that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. 
to remember that we are mortal. We have very little control. And Lord, we remember that there is a God who rules and reigns over all. Over the nations, over our city, over our families, and over our lives. And Lord, even this morning, we relinquish control and we surrender and we say, you alone are God. And we want to trust you more and more with our lives. And I pray that Sabbath would help us in that. To let go and trust you. Lord, we bless you. We give you thanks. We thank you that you can be trusted. We thank you that you hold all things together. Help us to trust you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.